time for the Retirement Roadmap Podcast with registered financial consultant, Glenn Mosseller. Marching right on into another podcast, it's the Retirement Roadmap. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Glenn Mosseller, the founder and president of Roadmap Financial Consulting. Glenn is a registered financial consultant right there in Greensboro with an office on Mears Chapel Road. And we're always online at greensbororetirement.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere podcasts are found. That's the Retirement Roadmap Podcast. Just look us up and you can keep track of all the episodes as soon as they're posted. You can get those notifications there on your smartphone or whatever device you use to listen to podcasts. Glenn, I'm going to ask you to play judge and jury on the podcast today and settle some debates for us today. Are you ready to play right or wrong? All right, Walter, let's do it. I should say right or wrong or it depends because we know that that's going to be a third option that gets thrown in here. Oh, Walter, you caught me before we even got started. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's a common theme and that's okay. It's okay as long as we get additional explanation whenever we say it depends. The crux of our conversation today is revolving around a couple of different questions where depending on who you ask, you could get very different answers to some of retirement planning's most important questions. So I want to see where our opinions stand on certain issues like insurance, mutual funds, annuities, and the like. We'll try to answer why there are so many different opinions on these concepts and see what you, Glenn, think about these different things. So we'll start you off with one talking about debt. What's better, paying off debt or building up savings? Well, Walter, as you were very smart to say, it depends, right? I mean, in general, it's not a good idea to have lots and lots of debt, and you do want to be building up your savings. So they're not necessarily exclusive of one another. You could be paying off debt as you're building your savings. There's a philosophy out there that says, you know, we'll pay off all your debt before you start saving, you know. And and the challenge with that is, is that as folks go through life, you know, there's going to always be things that come up that are major capital expenditures, which is something that I would define as is that, you know, you can't pay for in full by just your regular monthly cash flow, right? I mean, they can be something as big as a house or a car or something, maybe even as small as, you know, getting a new refrigerator or some appliances or, or you know, maybe, you know, putting a fence around the yard or just other things like that. So whenever there's those things that come up, then it's always the battle between you know savings and debt and how do you pay for it and this and that. The challenge is that if you look to pay off all of your debts or all of the things that you have you know, monthly payments on before you start saving, then you're killing the thing that allows savings to work, and that is you know, the idea of compound interest. Compound interest works best if it works over time, and the longer you have, the more it compounds and the more it works for you. So if you delay savings for you know many, many, many years, then the impact of saving is going to be muted. On the other side of the coin is that, you know, if you're taking on way too much debt, particularly if it's at high interest rates, well, then, you know, you're taking one step forward in savings, maybe two steps back. So I think it's not really a question of either or. It's maybe this and, but you also need to think in terms of, well, what are you putting money into that's saving and and how is that growing? 
And also, what kind of debt is it? Is it debt on your house? Is it debt on your car? What is the interest rate on that? You know, is it causing you to go backwards in any kind of a major way? Obviously, if you start getting into double-digit interest rates and things like that and, and that they last over years and decades, well, now that becomes a problem. But if you have something that you're buying, you know, short-term, maybe, you know, over a couple of years, you know, that's at a low interest rate and you're still able to save – then that's not such a bad thing. So I, I hate to say it depends, but there's more nuanced answer than that. I mean, it's an, an either or is not normally the right answer. There's normally there's more to it than that. And obviously what I would say is that, you know, you have to look at your individual situation on a case by case basis. And that's, of course, one of the things that we help folks with is, you know, kind of determining, you know, where is it? Do you have the right balance rather than being out of balance? You know, maybe that's a key question that we need to address. And certainly debt and savings, you know, falls right into that as one of those key things to look at. All right. I started you off kind of broad on a, a more general debt versus savings conversation. Let me narrow you in a little bit. Is it best to pay off the house as soon as possible or keep the mortgage and keep getting things like tax deductions and whatnot as long as you can? Well, again, Walter, you know, this is one of the reasons why there's always the debate. And some people will say this is right and this is wrong or this is good or that's bad because there are examples of when it's good and when it's bad. And there is examples when it's right and when it's wrong. And so, you know, again, when we start looking at the house and we start thinking about a mortgage, well, obviously, most folks don't like the idea of having a payment, right? I mean, that principal and interest payment, you know, is one of those things that most everybody wants to get rid of. You know, a lot of times people say, well, I want to get it paid off as soon as I can because that interest that I'm paying out is a lot. You have to think in terms of, well, if you're taking your money and you're paying off that debt and you're paying that interest, you know, off like that, then it also means that if you're not saving that you're not earning interest either. So it's a this and a that. There's two sides of that. But the other thing that really comes into play a lot of times is, you know, when folks I'm talking to are approaching retirement or maybe they're in retirement and maybe they still have a mortgage left, but maybe it's a mortgage that they're way deep into. There's just a few more years left. And in those situations, there's almost always a case where there's hardly any interest left. Almost all the payment is principal. You know, and when you start thinking about that, it's like, well, where is that principal going? You know, well, the principal part of the payment is yours, right? I mean, it's adding to your equity. So if there's very little interest left, and you're basically, you know, taking money out of your, you know, your investment accounts or your retirement accounts or your savings account or, you know, maybe your monthly cash flow, you know, to pay that your principal payment. Well, I mean, you're just you're moving it from one pocket to another pocket. And, you know, as you start thinking about it, we've talked about this in other podcasts, Walter, and that is the idea of inflation. Right. And a lot of times people don't think about inflation, but let's say you have, you know, five years or seven years or eight, 10 years, whatever left on your mortgage, but you know, most of your payment is principal. Well, you start thinking about it and say, okay, well, if I make this payment over the next 10 years, well, 10 years from now, that payment's not going to feel the same because the cost of living has increased. And hopefully your plan is, is taking that into account. But if you pay it all now and you give those dollars to the mortgage company and pay it off, you know, and most of your payment was principal. Well, now what's happened is you've taken money, you know, your, your most valuable dollars, I would argue, because, you know, your dollars today are worth more than the dollars tomorrow because of inflation and future taxation. Then you take those most valuable dollars and you put those into the principal. And now that payment goes away. 
But yet at the same time, if it was a manageable payment before and it was really going to your principal, is it better to give the mortgage company your less valuable dollars in the future or your more valuable dollars today? And that's something that a lot of folks don't really take into account. So, you know, I mean, there's emotional parts of it and there's dollars and cents of it. But I always say, let's look at all of it. And you might end up coming to the conclusion now after considering all that, I still want to pay it off. And then some folks will say, well, hey, I hadn't really thought about all those pieces of that puzzle. You know, that's not such a bad thing to leave that mortgage in place. And so, again, Walter, unfortunately, I have to say it depends. But hopefully, you know, we've kind of pointed out a couple things that sometimes folks don't think about, which gives them a little bit of pause and maybe some reason to do some analysis before they just make a, an emotional decision to go do this or go do that. Well, I think the perfect point you bring up here is that it's not just a quick knee-jerk reaction to a conversation like that. You have to zoom out and look at the full picture and see how that works into the conversation. And I think that's a really good takeaway from just that couple of minutes of conversation, Glenn. Another debate, I think that, again, it depends on who you ask. And this one, I think, Glenn, is a little bit more of kind of what people fear when it comes to working with financial professionals. And it might be the financial professional's bias that dictates the different answer that you may hear. And correct me if I'm wrong on this, but that's just my early reading of this kind of question. But people always kind of face that battle of should I buy term life insurance or permanent life insurance? And depending on who you listen to and who you ask that question to, you get very different answers, it seems. Oh, well, you're absolutely right, Walter. And again, like you say, it depends on who you ask in the, in the financial world, but it also depends upon what is your particular situation, right? I mean, permanent life insurance is a useful tool in the toolbox. The question is, do you have a need for a permanent death benefit, right? I mean, some people do. You know, in a case where, let's say, for instance, you have a uh, married couple, maybe they're going into retirement, and if one person passes away, maybe the pension disappears, or maybe it gets dramatically, you know, decreased, and also one of the Social Security checks goes away. Well, I mean, if you don't have a way of replacing that income, then the surviving spouse is you know, kind of in a difficult spot. So there's a reason to have permanent insurance in that case, you know, to make sure that there's extra money there that can create future income for where the income was lost, right? Maybe there is a situation where folks have more resources, but some of the resources might be IRA money or, you know, accounts that are going to be taxed in the future. Well, you know, maybe, you know, in their part of their legacy planning is, is that they don't want to have a scenario where Uncle Sam ends up being one of their biggest beneficiaries of their of the retirement accounts. So maybe they buy permanent life insurance to help offset those taxes that might come down the way, you know, and take money away from the people that they care about. So those are some cases where it makes sense to have, you know, permanent life insurance. On the other side of the coin, you might have some folks that they have, you know, plenty of resources. Maybe their pension is going to, you know, last throughout time and they don't have a need to replace income or maybe their plans for leaving things to kids or grandkids. Maybe those resources are not going to be tied to, you know, possible taxation in the future. So then there might be a situation where maybe they just have a term policy to make sure that the mortgage is paid off, you know, while it's still in place. And then once the mortgage goes away, maybe the term policy, you know, just fit the bill just right. But, you know, I mean, you got to be careful when folks say, well, never, ever, ever do this, you know, in terms of permanent life insurance, because that's not necessarily always the case. There's plenty of cases where it's a really good fit. And then there are other cases where there is not a good fit for it. You can't just paint it with a broad brush and really be accurate. You've really got to look at everybody's situation and determine, you know, hey, is this a good fit? And if so, why? And if not, why not? 
And, and unfortunately, sometimes those additional questions don't get asked and that exploration doesn't happen, you know, and folks end up with a knee-jerk answer to a question or maybe something that they've heard on the radio or on TV from one of the financial entertainers that is basically giving, you know, one-size-fits-all advice to everybody. And maybe it fits a lot of people, but also it doesn't necessarily fit everybody. And sometimes people get into trouble when they follow that one-size-fits-all and their situation's a little bit different. All right, let's apply this same kind of thinking, you know, good or bad, mutual funds. Where do you stand there? Well, Walter, again, I mean, they're not good, they're not bad. They do what they do. I mean, there's some good elements to them and that they give some diversification. There's some other, you know, issues that, you know, sometimes they have additional fees that folks are not necessarily aware of. You know, it also kind of depends a little bit on what account you're, you know, you're holding those in. You know, there's sometimes when folks are holding those in non-qualified or after-tax accounts, they'll end up having, you know, capital gains or, you know, or, or dividends that are paid out into those funds that maybe they're not using, you know, to live off of. And yet they've got to report these things on their tax return. You know, there's times when they have, you know, inside of that fund, you know, dividends were declared or, or maybe something was sold inside that fund for a gain. But then, you know, that mutual fund manager held on to some things that had some losses. And maybe the actual value went down of the fund but yet there were gains in the fund at the same time. And then folks have to end up paying taxes on those gains, even though that their asset value went down. You know, those are things that we call phantom income. And that's a scenario where most people don't like paying taxes, but especially don't like paying taxes on something that's gone down in value. So those are things that you know, kind of depends. So, you know, what kind of account are you holding it in and what is your objective in using that as an asset class? It's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It just depends upon what are we trying to accomplish and where are you holding that asset. All right. We're going to keep things moving here as we settle the debate, right or wrong, good or bad. That's the mutual fund conversation. What about annuities? So again, Walter, you know, I mean, a lot of times you'll hear folks say, well, you know, I, I've heard bad things about annuities or I don't like annuities and whatnot. And so I would say, well, then, you know, do you have a pension? Sometimes people do have a pension. You know, or if they don't have a pension, well, do you like, you know, receiving that Social Security check? And if somebody has a pension or if they have Social Security coming in, they like that. Well, I mean, in a way, those are types of annuities. I mean, they're income for life, right? And that's what, you know, an annuity can create is income for life, particularly if it's an income and annuity. And so, you know, there are situations where folks have a gap between what their expenses are and what the income that's coming in. So one of the ways to handle that is to have maybe a, another reliable income stream that's there for life, you know, um, that maybe take a place of, you know, maybe you don't have a pension, but maybe your friend does. So maybe your friend doesn't need that extra income stream to fill a gap because maybe they don't have a gap, but maybe you do because you don't have a pension, but maybe you've actually saved more into a retirement account. Well, maybe taking a part of that retirement account and creating an income stream to fill that gap might be a, a wise idea. And that way you put in a floor if you know, hey, my income can't drop below this level. So maybe that's a good application of an annuity. Again, Walter, I mean, you have to be careful in painting with, with a broad brush because there's no such thing as a one size fits all. And there are plenty of cases where I can look at a particular situation and say, you know what, an annuity does just doesn't fit in your particular case because of you know, maybe there's a pension or maybe there's other factors to think about. But then there's other situations where it's a tremendously good fit. So, you know, it's again, it's not good, bad. It's a tool in the toolbox 
The question is, are you using the right tool to build the future that you want to build? And unfortunately, there's times when there's financial salespeople out there that are looking to try to sell something. And oftentimes, unfortunately, they're not necessarily looking to what's in the client's best interest. And it's very important that you're working with somebody who is looking after your best interest. And there are times when it, you know, the, all the things that we're talking about could be your, in your best interest to go one way or the other, you know, depending upon your particular situation. All right, on this last one, I won't ask you for such absolutes as good or bad, but is gold a good thing to have in your portfolio? We can kind of end it here because, gosh, Glenn, I hear commercial after commercial after commercial talking about the benefits and the merits of gold. It seems like, based on those messages, it's something that should be in my portfolio. What about for a retiree and a pre-retiree? Is gold something that's essential, that has a role where does it fit into financial plans for you? Well, Walter, I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, you know, it depends upon, you know, again, you talk about, well, you know, hear different ads out there and so forth. And a lot of times, you know, they'll be talking about buying gold coins or buying, you know, bullion or something like that, you know, buying the physical asset of gold. And sometimes the argument for that is because, you know, well, if Armageddon comes and, you know, and uh, suddenly money's not worth anything, well, then you're going to have something that is, you know, had value throughout the ages. And there's some truth to that. The challenge, obviously, is that, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, in the world that we live in, are you going to go to the grocery store with a bar of gold and then say, OK, I want to buy these groceries? And the person at the checkout counter is going, well, I have no way to exchange that. How do you buy something with that as an asset? So I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I'm just saying, but practically, you have to think about what are you trying to achieve by owning that asset? You know, I mean, there's arguments that, well, you know, it's a good hedge against this or that happening in the economy and so forth. And I wouldn't really argue one side or the other of that. I would say that, you know, you don't get carried away with anything, you know, whether it be gold or any other, you know, asset class. So, you know, if you feel like, you know, in your particular situation or your consultation with your advisor leads you to think, well, maybe I should have some there. You know, then you say, that's no, not a bad thing. You know, you, maybe you come to that conclusion and that, that's an okay thing to hold on to. I just wouldn't put all your eggs in one basket, number one. And number two, you want to look at the practicality of it. And do you have an easy way to turn that back into something that you can exchange value for? Or are you just holding something that is going to be, you're going to have a hard time liquidating it and taking it to being able to use it in your real life? And so then you start looking at, you know, different types of investments that might be in the markets. There are different funds and exchange traded funds that will track the gold markets. And sometimes those are an alternative. But, you know, again, I'm kind of agnostic on that. You know, the thing that I always caution folks is be careful in being you know, carried away in one direction or the other and be really cautious in terms of those ads, because a lot of times you know, they'll say, well, you know, we'll guarantee that we're going to that we'll buy it back from you. And of course, the question is, is at what price? And so it, that's always the challenge. I've seen more than one, you know, people come in when they come in, they say, well, I bought this gold and this and that. And, you know, when I did some research after I already bought it, I kind of got carried away. And now I got all this investment in it and I can't sell it for anything near what I purchased it for. So those are obviously always, you know, challenging situations because I've literally seen folks come in, you know, 50, 60, 75,000 dollars where they spent all this money into something and it's not worth, you know, 30 or 40,000 dollars. You know, there's other cases where it might be worth that or in what they purchased or more, but it's a hard thing to exchange and get your value back in some cases. And so just be careful. Just be careful. Probably a good 
thing to apply to all of these conversations. And by be careful, we don't mean stay away. We just mean do your homework, have these kinds of conversations about these topics to make sure that you're making the right choices for your particular situation. And I think that's certainly a good takeaway from the topic today. If you would like to have these kinds of conversations with a financial planner, with an advisor, you want to get in depth, you want to talk about your plan, have somebody guide you down that path. That's why Glenn Mosseller and the team at Roadmap Financial Consulting are here. If you haven't had a conversation with them before, reach out. 336-291-3535 is your number. That's 336-291-3535. You can also always find Glenn online at greensbororetirement.com. Click on the free consultation button at the bottom of the page and you can schedule a time to meet in person. greensbororetirement.com. Click on the link at the bottom of the page. For Glenn Mosseller, I'm Walter Storholt. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you on the next podcast one week from today on the Retirement Roadmap. We'll be right back.